everybody. It's been a while. It's been a while. Now, I don't... This is going to be very, very new for me. It's something that we're just jumping into the pool with because I cannot wait to make this a little bit more of a regular thing in the uh, the sphere of influence of, quite frankly, and that is Book Club. I want to do Film Club as well. Film Club will be a little bit easier because we all just will just say, hey, we'll get together and we're going to watch something on a on a Saturday on our own and we'll come back and we'll do it on a certain night during the week and it's one and done. For this, we have to be able to stretch out a little bit and do multiple sessions and cut things up, especially in the case 1996 classic by Father Malachi Martin, a Vatican novel, Windswept House. It's uh, nearly, it's 640 pages, so it's going to take at least six weeks if we're going to do a robust 100 pages a turn. For something like this, we have to, or else we're gonna, it's going to take months to read it. If this were a 280-page book, then we could have taken it 50, 50 uh, pages at a time or 35. So it's not always going to be such a, um, you know, we're not going to be doing such heavy lifting all the time, but this is something that it, it's very exciting. I really, I really do enjoy what I'm reading so far. And I can't wait to get into what you guys and gals are seeing. I'm going to call up Timothy Gordon in about five minutes. But we have the book club official thread, which has been populated with some great stuff, great analysis, great opinions on the Reddit, as you can all see. Here we have right there. And this is what I asked everybody. Windswept House, Session 1, Prologue to the End of Chapter 9. So we should be going into the next session. We're going from first page of Chapter 10 for maybe the next 82 or 100 pages. Below are some of the questions to kick off discussions for the April 22nd, 2022 bonus stream and also inspire conversation in the thread itself. Because, of course, there's, you know, we can't go on all night, but if we can do a solid hour, maybe we don't get around to everybody's uh, everybody's thoughts. But as long as you're in there in the thread, you're reading each other's analysis, you're you're uh, you're you're going back and forth with each other. And it's just a better group experience. So I've had a lot of fun reading so far. Now here are some of the important questions that we'll probably recycle along the way because I think it's I think it'll be good. But of course we can we can get a little bit more pointed as time goes on. I said you don't need to answer all these questions. They're just some discussion starters. Please be concise with your responses so we can get through as many as possible. Number one, what was your favorite part? Of this portion of Windswept House, what was your least favorite? Uh, which scene has stuck with you the most? What did you think of the writing style? Did you reread any passages? If so, which ones? And what is the overall mood that has been created for you in the first hundred pages? And is there any lingering questions about the material thus far? What you see coming? Whatever. I don't care where you go. I just threw seven pretty basic questions out there to get the mind going. You don't have to be confined to that. I'm, I'm really uh, open to all types of hot takes when it comes to this. So um, I hope that you're, you're having a good time. Let's see. Make sure that I got... Is everybody seeing this on DLive? Yes. Cool. Cool. We have DLive kicking in, and we also have Foxhole 
kicking in. Stostube already dropped some foxhole gold pills in there for munchies, he said. Everybody's having a good time. Abe Sinclair's in there. It's uh, it's good. A lot of people are saying they're loving it. So I'm going to keep uh, checking in from time to time. And I have a lot of things that I have set aside for this. But first things first, I have to get Timothy Gordon on the air with me. And boom, boom, boom. Skype, good, out of the way. Nice, beautiful. All right, let me give this a call. Let me see if he's, uh, if he's available. I told him I'd be calling him around uh, 8.50. It's 8.48, so it might be a little bit too early. I don't know. Tim. Frank. What's going on, man? Not a lot. Ready oh, to go. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm having a great time. I'm giving you a, uh, a look that you probably don't usually have of the studio here. You're getting a live view of me tonight. I've worked out uh, a way to, to get people some, uh, some camera feeds so it's, you're not just looking into a blank screen anymore. Perfect. Like All right. So let me get you on the screen. I'm going to be, hold on, that's not it, Skype. That's not you. Where have you gone? Wait. I'm going, there you are. Perfect. Okay, so, quite frankly, rules for retrogrades. There's a little bit of a crossover tonight as we're doing something pretty historic. It's session one, quite frankly, book club. And we, we chose this together. It came together so effortlessly. And I cannot wait to do this with you. So the first thing I want to do tonight, uh, Tim, to kick this off is I know that you have spent a lot of time in your, your studies earlier on in your professional life as well in this area, um, you know, in Rome, around the Vatican, can you, what, what can you say about the way that Malachi Martin is mapping out um, and describing these areas of, of Italy? The, just the description and the mapping out of, of all these locations. What can you say about someone who's been there uh, t for as much time as you have? Well, the sense of place in Windswept House is amazing. Uh, I, that's that's one of the most exciting aspects of the first hundred pages is just, as you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, Frank. There's a key to the characters because this is what Martin called faction. All of these characters are real guys with fictitious names. Same thing to the places, even the uh, the seven foot prefect of the Angelicum, which is the Dominican pontifical university there's seven pontifical universities in rome that seven foot guy that loves to eat breakfast in uh some some restaurant i was trying to figure out what restaurant it was but the angelicum is just down uh uh via nazionale from the greg and I, I spent time in both pontifical schools the greg is the jesuit university where all the the wacky stuff happens so they're 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 a short walk from each other about a two minute walk from one another the greg is just uh, Gregoriana is about 90 seconds of a walk from the Trevi Fountain. And mm. um, it's such a little big town that when uh, our hero of the story, uh, Father Gladstone, is walking around the Angelicum, I was just getting really excited because the descriptions of even the trees and the way that it's decorated in that part of central Rome is amazing. It, it just brought back such... Uh, florid specific memories for me that it, it it was really neat all this stuff is real 
I, I see. I loved. That's the one thing I uh, I I really pulled out of this real quick because I've heard a bunch of uh, Malachi Martin's uh, interviews, but to to see his writing style come to life on pay on on paper. It's it's so intricate and so beautiful, and yeah, th there's sometimes you have to take out the uh, the dictionary and just double check that you got these words right, because um, it, it's but it's it's just wonderful, very masterful writer, and I, I gotta say a lot of people have already put this out there in the in the thread that we've been building, so let's just start right there. A couple couple people have just come out and said it about the prologue. The prologue was pretty incredible in itself. Just the way that it gives you a span of time. I have some notes here on this. First of all, it starts off in 1957. And I believe that this is this is Pius XII that they have, that they're, they're talking about in 1957, meeting with the members of the so-called European community. The yes, sir. Yeah, for one more year, then he's out in 58. Yep. Okay, so he dies in 58. Yes. And then in comes uh, good Pope John. John the 23rd. Careful, careful with that word good. Such a big word. Yeah, for the Pope that convened Vatican II. So uh, one of the modernists. Remember, the set of Acontists in the Church believe there are no real popes after Pius the Twelfth after 1958, because John the 23rd of a short pontificate convenes Vatican II, largely modernist-leaning Vatican II, and then he's out a few years later, and in comes Pope Paul VI, even more modernist than John the Twenty Third. So yeah, okay. Go on. So so then so this is the thing that that really gets me, and I love how this this is how it ends his little uh, piece, um, Pius the Twelfth's piece, in uh, on page three, and they're talking about how he is ex receiving all of these these limousine driven suits that are coming from Europe that are obviously laying the groundwork down for this new world order. It is it is no 100% this European economic community thing, the EEC that they say, it's he's realizing it Pope, uh, Pius XII that th they are laying down a foundation for a much larger secular government for everybody, but also realizing that that secular government would not be possible to achieve uh, unless they were able to bring the Vatican into complete alignment with their views so he knew that he had just met with jackals and harbingers of a grand conspiracy and this is how his por portion ended in 1957 uh, it, was, it was a pious turn to his companion uh, Germ a German Jesuit, longtime friend and favorite confessor. Marxism is still the enemy father but the Anglo-Saxons have the initiative on the Pope's lips, Anglo-Saxon meant the Anglo-American establishment, quote, their Europe will go far, and it will go fast, but the great day for Europe has not yet dawned. The Jesuit failed to follow the papal vision. Which Europe, holiness? The greatest day for whose Europe? Says, for the Europe born today. And now at the end, he says here, there, the Europe will have, it, their Europe will have its little day, Father, but only a day. Now, I uh, that is so incredible because it makes me wonder have they had their day yet and and how long is a day obviously we're it, it's a little bit more a little bit more of a um, uh, a turn of phrase it's he's he's talking about a short period of time where they have control of the world before control is rightfully wrestled away from them and they are put back in their place it makes you wonder at what time of the day are we in right now. You know, that's that's yeah. the first thing I asked myself. 
Yeah, I, I can't. There are a few things, Frank. One, I, I've wanted to read this book for a long time, and I did not know, I simply did not know how much of the European economic community globalist New World Order stuff there's, there was in this. I knew there was the Satanism, that you know, the apostasy from the top, the masonry, but I did not know how specific that there would even be a Klaus Schwab figure. Now, I remember you, you and I nearly flipped our lid when this was in this, but I meant to read this book for eight, nine years. So th there's that, but this German Jesuit is the second point that I need to raise. This German Jesuit, unnamed, is Augustine Cardinal Bea, who was Malachi Martin's boss. He's just called German Jesuit, the one you're talking about here. He was his boss. That's why Malachi Martin has read The Third Secret. So in real life, he doesn't give him a fictitious name. Just any time in the story, or I guess in the prologue, you hear the German Jesuit. This is his boss that he worked for, why he got to read the third secret of Fatima. Wow, wow, yeah. and, and okay. So, so now, now that that takes us away from 1957. Now we go to Pope John, which he, I guess, sarcastically calls Good Pope John. Um, a couple years later, just because I don't want to go. The, the prologue is something we could spend a little bit more time on. Then we can just start getting generalized and see what people are picking out on themselves. But the prologue is huge for setting the stage of this because it was in these first opening pages that I realized, holy shit, this was published in 1996, but it, it could have been yesterday. Uh, it's t it's setting us up for the world we're living in right now, the battle that is obviously so progressed. It's so late in the game, but here we are looking at these um, these very early early moments of it. And he gets the Second Vatican Council on the books, and we we get this from the 1960 uh, era right there. This is what's going on with John the 23rd. But then we have, and we know that that is really just about to hasten the demise of the church's exclusive authority, uh, cultural authority in Europe, and especially the destruction of the papacy itself. But then we get to the enthronement. Now, it's the, the, this whole thing here the, of the enthronement in 1963, I believe, it is, uh, it's horrifying, it's graphic, but the biggest takeaway I took away from this, this was the right of inversion. Um, the fact that everything that's going on inside of this this uh, synchronized satanic ritual that's happening both in Rome and in that, that one location in the United States. Um, the, the fact that the, what I took away was that, that the, the inversion of everything to perform rituals that are opposites of every sacrament, of every holy tradition, every move needs to be carefully orchestrated desecration of something that is good and whole. And boy, is that not the credo of contemporary Western culture at large right now, just the opposite of everything that you would think would be a common good. We're doing the opposite, uh, even even flipping genders, flipping everything around. So that whole rite, that uh, that satanic rite of inversion, was so pronounced for me li living through what we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think twenty. We're reading it twenty five years after it was penned. And I thought this was more like a middle 80s book. I thought it was more like 35 years. And I was like, holy shit, it's 1997, not 87. But we can make so much more. There's so much more meat on the bone because we're reading it 25 years later, both you and I, Frank. So, yeah, it's like the, the, the inversion of everything. 
that might have sounded kooky even eight years ago. But in 2022, it sounds right on point, mm. you know? Well, yeah, well, this is... Now, do, is is the enthronement, do you know? I, I thought it was the opening scene of the book. I'd always heard it was the opening scene of the novel. Are we going to get a peek at that in the actual action of the novel? Oh, I, oh I don't know. I don't know, because it's it's 1963, and the novel seems to be modern day in the 90s. Yeah, I know. I thought he... I knew that it happened in the 60s, but I thought he put it in the book. I thought it was, I thought it was, I, I was looking uh, ahead, not looking forward, but looking to find it in one of the first few chapters. I know so what you that, mean. I know what you mean. I, I was really, um, I did not expect just to be hit in the face with this on, on page seven. Because all of a sudden on page seven, there's 1963. The first thing you read there is, and, and talk about leading with your best. I mean, every, ca- every paragraph needs to pull you in immediately, and he just jumps right th- to it. 1963, the enthronement of the fallen Archangel Lucifer was effected within the Roman Catholic Citadel on June 26, 1963, a fitting date for the historic moment about to be fulfilled. And then it goes into unbelievable graphic detail about what was done to prepare these uh the the place the the bones the the drugging of the the child uh everything the the resistance of the it, it was horrible but even down to things like this tim um it said this, uh, the, the, the matter of synchronizing the ceremonies in the two chapels, one in the United States, one in the in in Rome, was familiar for this character, Leo. As usual, um, uh, let's see here, they have these uh, f- uh, printed sheets, irregular, uh, ir- irreligiously called missiles, uh, would be prepared for the use by the participants in both chapels, and as usual, they would be in flawless Latin. So the fact that they had, that, that they, all this stuff was prepared, every inversion, they had to even make sure that all the missiles that you usually would do in a, uh, in a, in a mass would be in, inverted and perverted and desecrated in some way, but that it was all done in flawless Latin. It made me think again about why, why Latin mass is something that is kept from ordinary people and is uh, largely being banned and, and, and kept from the, the forefront of our minds. Meanwhile, it's very important for their own rituals. Um, you know, there's something about that language, that Latin language, huh? Absolutely. Malachi Martin, if you look him up as an author in the 60s and 70s, the guy was a Jesuit, right? So as modernist as it gets through the council and after, what turned him into a, a an author who would have as his goodly protagonist um, a young American traditionalist and, and and mean it was um, his participation in exorcisms and every exorcist I've I've studied a lot of exorcists uh, work I just had Dan Burke on my show yesterday who's been at lots of exorcisms they all say the same thing the potency of Latin prayers in Latin is not double it's you know tenfold the potency of the new breviary and the new uh, vernacular prayers it is real and this is what turned malachi martin from a jesuit as we joke uh we catholics into a catholic and he became something of a trad there's there's that reality um when he was writing the book on uh on exorcism that's when he became 
a believing Catholic, and he wasn't just some some modernist Jesuit as he had been at the council. A second point that I'd just point out real fast is um, on Taylor Marshall's show almost four years ago, both of us said, I don't know, Malachi Martin, he's kind of got this dubious character, dubious reputation. I don't know. I could go either way on him. Shortly after that, the Agnes, grown-up Agnes character from uh, the American Midwest in real life came forward and said, I was Agnes. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, she. you, you can... I meant to get it for today. But she, was, she was the one that was that was the subject of the 1963 ritual. Yes, yes, she came. I mean, this was right after me and Marshall did a show. Like ah, I don't know about this. All that Martin has been so vindicated in the last whatever that was three years alone because Agnes came forward and said, "Look, I was I was Agnes," or that's not what her name was, but because uh, it's all faction. But this was me in Malachi Martin's book. And, and you know, not to mention all the Russia-Ukraine stuff. Um, that that, according to Malachi Martin, is part of uh, the third secret of Fatima. But he, the guy, just this is why I've taken a second look at him. And like you're saying, the the, the amazing uh, fiction storytelling takes off from there. But Agnes is real, and this was a great vindication that happened right as I started paying attention to Martin in more detail the last four years. Damn, man. Well, well, from there, from there, we jump into uh, where the hell are we at? I think it is 1978. Now, uh, then we have 78, the 78 election of the Slavic Pope, which I, it's pretty easy. That's John Paul II, uh, which really sets the general theme for at least the first hundred pages, which is now I say I want to spend a little bit more time on the prologue, but this really sets the theme for at least what we've been inundated with for the first hundred pages. You have a man, John Paul II, who's still devoted 100% to Jesus Christ, uh, cherished the tradition of Marian devotion in the in the in the in the Catholic uh, faith as well, and is also now found himself completely out of alignment with this new world order. A guy uh, seem, seemingly who should not have gotten this this post and I got to be careful how I say this because it's a very loose comparison but it, it with the way that Malachi Martin has been describing the trials and tribulations of John Paul II the Slavic Pope and everybody around him uh, save for a few people that that slattery slattery guy, slattery guy and a few others that he can trust save for a few he can trust the the scheming and the pressure crushing down on all all ends, the Machiavellian traitors all around him, uh, that Maestroiani, uh, who uh, was putting that very Machiavellian missive out to all the bishops to try to uh, subtly sow discord among everybody in the church to hopefully create one day a situation where they can remove the pope through pretty much an impeachment. It, it, it's almost like the kind of pressure that was that came down on Trump for the four years that he was president. You know, yeah. um, not, not a perfect man in any way, shape, or form, but um, but but holy hell, the, the the opposition around them was just it's just incredible. So you can just tell every move here is in the first hundred pages is just chess. How does this man, the Slavic Pope? Uh, dedicate himself in any way, shape, or form to what he's supposed to be undertaking as the Pope 
with everybody around him trying to get rid of him and also destroy the papacy itself so that it could be more corporatized for a new world order agenda. Yeah, I feel like um, I, I want to read a line that from from you know later in the reading, but it's um, Father Gladstone talking about his his frustration uh, as an American trad with John Paul II with, with the Slavic Pope, mm. um, because he his pontificate is mar- one of the longest pontificates in the history of the Church is marked by um, he. He he does. You no one can say no trad. Trads are usually detractors of JP two, but no trad says that he didn't love Jesus. He did, and Martin captures this well as an author. He, he really wants the the Bernini photos, right? Mm. For 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 an actual devotion, and all the modernist cardinals, namely the Secretary of State Maestroani, are mocking him for that. That's very typical. That went on, but remember, he was suffering with Parkinson's throughout all of the 90s basically losing his mind and it was uh, I, I don't know how big a character Ratzinger is in this Pope Benedict eventually was was more or less running things uh, as as the CDF but he's losing his mind and he made a bunch of too many concessions to the modernists who are around him and like you say it's the, the king's court the court of the chamberlains as uh, someone says to the young trad priest. But oftentimes, trads who are my age, uh, our age, look back on this and say, we had such a shitty education in the church in the 80s and the 90s. JP2 was faithful, but if you look at all of the bad bishops, all the Sankt Gallen Mafia, many of whom are represented as characters in this book, there are three or four Sankt Gallen Mafia guys, if you look at the key, which we should talk about some. Um, he elevated them to either bishop, archbishop, or cardinal, and it's partly because there's so much pressure. But this is, uh, if I could just read real fast, uh, Gladstone says, you make my point for me, Father Aldo. It's His Holiness's penchant for strategies like that, the capitulation, that have left his whole church in such a shambles. Uh, Christian stopped in his tracks. Ex- explain to me, if you can, Padre, why the Slavic Pope deals in such strategies at all. Maybe His Holiness sees himself fishing in deeper waters, but for my money, there are no deeper waters than the spiritual life or death of millions. Again, think of young Frank, young young Tim, um, growing up horribly formed, shittily formed in the church, and made an agnostic of me for decades to come. That's that's what Father Christian's talking about here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even the spiritual life or death of one country or one city or one individual. Explain to me why this Holy Father does not simply dismiss from our seminaries all the theologians who openly teach heresy and moral error. You have no many, you have no clue how many times I've seen this, said this. Why does why he does nothing about blasphemous masses, about reverend mothers who practice witchcraft, about nuns who have abandoned any semblance of religious life, about bishops living with women, that's more often men, right? About homosexually active priests ministering to congregations of actively homosexual men and women, about cardinals who indulge in Satanist rites, about so-called marriage annulments that are really just cover-ups for real divorces, about so-called Catholic universities that employ atheists and anti-Catholic professors and teachers. You can't deny that all that is true, Padre, and you can't be surprised by my discomfort. Great great set of lines, and I, I, felt, like, I felt like he was speaking for me. 
Oh yeah, no, I, I, I remember, and I remember that exchange there too, and, and that's one of the things I am very interested in to see how these Gladstone brothers are pitted against each other as the, as the book goes on. You have Christian Gladstone, a traditional priest, and I, I would have to say heir, heir apparent to Windswept House in Galveston, Texas, and Paul Gladstone, his brother, who works for these international banking elites, uh, who, who are is already pretty much. Uh, uh, seen as a uh, a known quantity for those who are trying to remake the church and therefore remake the world and into this secular thing here. But it's what's incredible about what you just said about the uh, about the Slavic Pope and all of those well earned criticisms is in reality when we look at the plotting that's going on in these first hundred pages to uh, to to slowly nudge this man uh, the Slavic Pope into a position where people will in eventually be more willing to, I don't know, pull out the, in an American sense, 25th Amendment to try to kick him out or an impeachment or force them to resign. It's just incredible, once again, to look back and see, read this in a book published in 1996. He would be dead. JP2 would be dead on my birthday nine years later in 2005. Hmm. Nine years after the publishing of this book, and his successor was forced out, forced out for a new world order man that this mafia has probably wanted since 1978. So you want to talk about the patience, you want to talk about the vision and the, and the coordination. It's just incredible to see the plotting against JP2. He was able to live out his natural life without getting uh, 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 kicked out, but they w- wasted all wasted no time. In, um, in in making sure, because you know Ratzinger's still alive, we have to keep reminding ourselves every couple of months. It's incredible what's uh, what's taking place. What I don't understand, Frank, and I've done a, a little bit of digging, is why is Ratzinger not a character in this? Because Ratzinger was so they're the two chieftains in the curia of any pope. Is Pope Francis just called it from from the congregate? He changed the name from congregation to dicastery, but the CDF, the prelate, the prefect for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith. That's the main doctrinal chief. That was Ratzinger, who was faithful to JP two and a faithful Catholic for all his flaws. And then there's um, what they call Stato, who is Maestroani, the cardinal secretary of state. Stato, and mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, he did not have a faithful. Uh, Cardinal Secretary of State, but Ratzinger's not represented at all, and just to bring it around a little bit, the chronological uh, linearity for for folks, it's odd that Ratzinger's not represented by any of these characters in the character key, because he was faithful, he did as best as he could um, as CDF, the doctrinal chief, not the state chief, keep the ship righted while JP2's Parkinson's was preponderating and, and taking over more. And um, so your point you just made, it's interesting, JP2 was never forced out. The Sankt Gallen Mafia that, that you and I have talked so much about, represented by three or four of the cardinals in this book, they understood so well that the presumptive uh, successor to JP2 would be Ratzinger, and that's why they started meeting in ni- this year, the year this book was penned in 1996, for exactly the next nine years you just traced to your birthday in 2005 
when JP2 died. They were meeting those nine years in St. Gallen, Switzerland, to avoid a presumptive Ratzinger pontificate. And Bergoglio was number two in the voting at that conclave. But, the, but that's the interesting thing, is that there's no accounting for that by Martin. You know, mm -hmm. there is no Ratzinger character that did... He was the ally of JP2, and he was the presumptive successor, not only theologically and ideologically, but pontifically to JP2. And it's weird not to get any of that, even though you have um, you have Basil Hume is one of the St. Gallen guys. You have, uh, I think, is Cardinal Martini one of the guys? I'll have to look, but there are three or four of them. So I'm, I'm confused by why Ratzinger is, is um, conspicuously missing. Hmm. Yeah. That is that now that you bring it up, I don't know I hadn't that I hadn't even thought about that as well because his replacement his replacement is still alive and um, and yet we have a guy who mirrors this kind of secular hobnobbing um, you know uh, behavior that we, we see at these uh, all these uh, these meetings and and um, seminars and things that are very posh and corporate and and all that stuff very very uh removed from the the supernatural and that's the thing i want to get here too yeah the last thing i would say about the the first hundred pages and then we can get into what people are are saying in there and any other notes that you have is when we get into fatima that pops up here as well one of the last kind of butting of heads that happens before chapter nine ends is that this uh, Archbishop or this Archbishop Maestriani, Maestriani, uh, this is where they are learning that Sister Lucy, the last surviving child from the, 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 the Fatima visitations in the early 20th century, she has been pretty much ordered to stay confined to her, her, uh, her uh, convent she can't can't go anywhere and they and it's a part of a greater a greater um effort for all of these colluding cardinals and bishops and all, and everything that who are down for what they call the process the process of converting the church into a little bit more uh, into a a driving factor of this new world order um they want to be able to strip all of the public events and anything that is done in public through the church of its supernatural devotion to Christ, to uh, to 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 the Blessed Virgin, all they would want to be able to not bother people with the supernatural aspect, the mystical aspect of their the faith, which is the only reason why that a church would exist. They want to be able to strip that down and and sterilize it so they can be more. Um, a, a little bit less confrontational when going out to to fight on behalf of the saving and the salvation of souls on everybody that lives on the planet, and one of the, and, and it's crazy to not only see, you know, uh, to, to see the disdain for the Slavic Pope wanting to have those Bernini pictures of of the statues, they were thinking it's stupid and and not wanting him to talk about the faith with world leaders and just keeping it kind of PC and all that stuff, but also that they locked her away. Now was that was that uh, isolating of Sister Lucy? Is is that real? Confirmed? That was happening? Absolutely. Yeah. That and that began with the skepticism of uh, the good Pope John the Twenty Third who came in in 1958 and, and convened 
Vatican II. Remember, you and I talked about this, I think, when we first met, Frank. This, the third secret of Fatima was supposed to be revealed in 1960 under good Pope John XXIII. So, so keep your chronological bearings here or, or to calendar. He's the one that said, uh, there's a famous line, I used to repeat it all the time. He, he was a great, you know, he, he called them the great uh, pessimists. Um, and he, the three Fatima seers, including Sister Lucy, of course, her, her two cousins had died in 1918, as the Virgin had told them they would. They died of the flu. Um, and she said, well, Lucy's going to be the only one that will live to old age, almost 100. She lived well into the 21st century. And she's going to be the, the kind of seer. She's the oldest kid. Um, John the 23rd always called them pessimists. And he says, look, the, 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 20, the 20th and eventually 21st century world is not interested in these dour, predi- you know, Marian predictions. The first part of the secret is how the main call of Fatima, with all the interest and intrigue and the Russian and Kiev insight that these little, uh, you know, unschooled shepherd children knew about Russia and Kiev, and then the, the the most famous third secret, one of the most interesting things on earth. The basic call is repentance. So John the twenty third is like, look, I'm convening Vatican II. It's going to be upbeat. We're going to get hip to the world, you know, which is which is blue pilled and and lame. But that's what he thought. That's the mode of thinking. It was very Jesuitical. That's what was going on in the late fifties and sixties. So he's like, the last thing we want is this Fatima nonsense. So she had been cloistered since even before 1958, but he amped that up. Um, and he really, really had her cloistered and locked down. And this this changed a little bit pope to pope, but she was basically not heard from. When Cardinal Bertone went and talked to her in the late 90s, it had been the first time in, I think, decades um, at least a decade. So that's real. That's not, that's not faction. Well, and that's how this, and, and that's how I love how this ends. It's a great way for our first segment of, of reading the first week of reading. Well, even though this took three and a half weeks cause of my, cause of my flu, but, um, it ends right there with, with the Slavic Pope getting the travel permissions for sister La Lucia restored and the the news of that getting back to the archbishops and cardinals who were uh, intent on keeping her and anything that res- that that uh, relates to the kind of uh, aura she carries under wraps and suppressed and what do i mean by that once again they wanted everything traditional and everything supernatural stricken from pu- pu- the public life of the church so that it could be more easily blend into this godless form of world government and politics. And I thought, and the last thing I'll, I'll add from my notes is from page 81, as far as this, uh, it's an example of the realization for me that these enemies of humanity actually give themselves, or the, or the rationalization, I should say, like the compulsive liar who actually starts believing the lie. Here is um, Maestriani, says he finally realized that why Benth- Benthock, that Cyrus Benthock, he was the, the banker that, that Paul Gladstone works for, was always talking about those wise men of his. Those were the master engineers of the process, the process of turning the world into what they wanted. It was a marvelous realization for Cosimo Messeriani. 
It made the process wonderfully human and accessible for him. In fact, he contested, uh, he confessed to Benthock that he, uh, with heartfelt emotion, it even rang a doctrinal bell for him, a doctrinal bell for him. And an aim of every one of those master engineers of the process was always the same, to achieve the inherent destiny of the Society of Nations as a family, a human family, a new, all-embracing, holy family. That was not, uh, that was not, uh, was that not the very charity, the caritas, the agape, uh, preached by the Apostle Paul. So you can just see this this twisted way of thinking where they continue to rationalize how this new world order is actually bringing the church into a, a, a new necessary revelation of itself where they don't want to get rid of the actual, the, the, the organization. They don't want to get rid, they don't want to take the, raise it to the ground. They want to be able to convert it, turn it into something else, and then also give themselves a pat on the back for doing the right thing by lying to themselves that it's actually bringing them closer to its original intent which is it's it's so psychotic which is why you, we, you, we can't we can't reason with that status mentality here in the 21st century because this is the kind of internal rationalization that is always going on that they never let go of it's uh it's incredible to see that yeah, frank did you ever read after any of our talks, did you ever read the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita? No, but I but I have I have Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration. I have and I haven't gotten to it yet. Is that all in there? Is that a good place uh, for me to to get down to the nitty gritty on the Alta Vendita? It will. Yes, I think it's it's printed in whole at the um, back of that book by uh, by Crisis Publication, amazing publisher, Crisis Publications, uh, the arm of Sophia that publishes. Uh, more controversial books like his and mine. Yeah, read that. The, the term that the Masons use, for people out there that are listening, what the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita is, is a document that was intercepted by an early eight, uh, 1800s pope. Not A lot of people talk about it like it's closer to the 1900, uh, the, the turn of the century in 1900. It's actually an earlier 1800s pope. Um cardinal secretary of state who was good and faithful that intercepted that from the highest lodge the carbonari of masons in italy and it was their plans their hundred year plans to infiltrate the church and to transform roman catholicism into and this is the big game where you know they they, they acknowledge these are luciferians they they acknowledge it as the one true faith they want to transform it into what they call natural religion Frank, and what you're saying, this is so insane. Ben Benthuk, or however the hell you say his name, is like, yeah, we're citing the Apostle Paul. We're citing the apostolic tradition, though they're inverting, you know, the or the the hierarchy of creation. Any it's Satanism. Anytime uh, you worship any of the creatures over the Creator, you know, anything created, if it's being worshipped over the Creator, that's always Luciferianism. But they're doing so in a way that if you I don't know, bracket their goal, the Masons, the the European economic community, the globalists, they're all Luciferians. If you bracket what they're actually doing, then the insane language that they use makes sense, and they're still borrowing semi-sacramental, semi-apostolic language, and they're citing the Apostle Paul, and they're saying, hey, the Brotherhood of Man, the Holy Family, 
it's just all inverted, which was your opening note. Absolutely. Well, you know, and, and, uh, and there's one other note that just came in here from a, a viewer of the show who's reading along with us, Jerry Coogan from, from Scotland. He said, Frank, uh, Ratzinger is Cardinal uh, uh, Reenvernuft. He is mentioned in the book. Is he? Ratzinger is Cardinal Reenvernuft. I don't, I, I have, I had not, I don't even recognize the name. Did we get to him in the first hundred pages yet? Maybe we he read ahead. But, but I don't, I, oh, that's good. I'm, gl- I'm glad he's in here because he's so, such an important part of the late pontificate of JP2. So it, we, he has to be there. It's spelled R-E-I-N-V-E-R-N-U-N-F-T. Yeah, let me look. Key to, I, do you have that key to windswept house? Yeah. Can you, can you share that? Sure. I'm looking for reinvernuf. Re- Maybe I just have a, a bad Maybe it's an incomplete one. Maybe it's an incomplete because I have. Let's see here. Windswept Where the hell is it? Darn. Yeah, maybe we need a better key because it makes more sense that uh, that Ratzinger has to be. If he's not a huge character, he at least has to be a character who appears whose role is downplayed. Uh, maybe for for strategic reasons by Malachi Martin, the author. But he he has to be in there. That makes sense. You know what? This scribbed one that you sent me, mm-hmm. it's two pages, and I just realized I can't read the second second full page of names because I'm reading a preview. So maybe that's where he is, and why I didn't why I didn't see it. Oh Did, shit! I didn't see that either. Yeah, you yeah, see no, that? I just saw the second page. Oh, okay, so the, the the second page is all blurred out for me. Oh, Cardinal Odie is in here? Oh, this is good. No, I got it. I got Cardinal Odie's based. Uh, he makes an appearance. Okay, I'm going to have to read this in, in uh, not in real time. Oh, Daniels is in here? Okay, so there's another Cardinal Lorenze. Thank you for this, Africans. Jerry. Thank you for this, Jerry, for sure. Uh, l- l- Thank you, Jerry. Ratzinger, I just found him. Yeah, Reen, Reen Vernuft or something. Yeah, something. okay, that, that makes much more sense, and I'm, I'm really glad that Odie is in here. Uh not from Garfield, but but Cardinal Odia, a huge Fatima truther. It's always nice to have Fatima truthers coming from the College of Cardinals because it seems less kooky. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is good stuff. Thank you, Jerry. Well, then let's get into this this thread here because it's, uh, and then I'll jump into the see with what's going on with the chat rooms a little bit. I have two chat rooms up from Quite Frankly TV, the Foxhole, and then also on D Live, but. From the thread, first one up. I'm just going to start throwing things out there, and we can roll with it. Cat uh, Ski 1617 says, "My favorite part so far was when the Slavic Pope commands Mastroianni to ensure Sister Lucia's uh, presence at the Fatima celebration." Um, Buckeye Stephen replied to that, says, "Through this section of chapters, it's definitely Martin. Definitely, devo- it's definitely Martin." Definitely devoted more time to building up the bad guys. I look forward to learning more about all, uh, all the so uh, the Slavic Pope and the good guys. I know God wins. Um, here's a little bit more. This is from at uh, at C Maxon. So the first she just went through the, all the the seven the seven uh, questions I asked. You know, what was your favorite part of the the portion? What was your least favorite? Which scene stuck with you? What do you think of the writing style? Things like that. She says, The morning briefing between the Pope and Masteriani, the tension and veiled jabs were great. 
especially because we've been through about 50 pages of Mastoriani's intentions and the strategy leading up to this part. I found myself almost holding my breath reading this. Hmm. Um, she skimmed the ritual part. I get it. I don't need to internalize every agonizing detail to get what's going on. And uh, says, I think the writing style is the best part of the reading experience as a whole. The wonderful use of language and style is the vehicle that's getting me through the minutia of names, Vatican positions, and details that otherwise would be incredibly, if not unreadably dry and tedious. Same for me. I, I mean, I have, I've learned a lot about the, the offices of American govern, government. I, I, we've, over the last five years, we learned a lot about how the national security state and the FBI and the NSA works and stuff like that. But to hear all of these religious posts, are your eyes can go crossed. So yeah. it, it, it's a testament to his way to, to really bring a narrative to life that makes it digestible, for me at least. Amen. Yeah, I was talking to uh, my friend Charles Coulom, slightly slightly older trad from from a generation above us. He was on my show, and he was saying that he'd had dinner a bunch with Malachi Martin in New York, and I think it was Coulom that was telling me that that uh, Malachi Martin was saying, "Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I can't. I'm on under oath. I can't tell you what the third secret is. That that's famous. He went on Art Bell seven times about it, but." He did say that Russia, and more specifically Kiev, Kiev, Ukraine, Russia stuff is uh, part of the second secret that most people don't know about. So, um, yeah, it, that's what pulls you through. I mean, I'm even a, a Catholic that has a some understanding, I guess at least a layman's understanding of the way the Curia works and have, have lived in Rome. And even then, my eyes are glazing over when you get too many of the titles, my wife and I were reading this together. She lived in Rome with me, and it's kind of like, wow, it's a lot of detail, but the storytelling is spellbinding. So that's that's one of my my favorite scene, by the way. I think so far is when he went and found um, uh, the the seven. I always forget the guy's name. The seven foot tall uh, Dominican at his favorite uh, restaurant near the Angelicum. You know, when they find him, and, and you're like, oh, finally a good guy. It's before you've met. Uh, young Gladstone, who's, I guess, our protagonist. But it's it's nice to meet a good guy because there are so many bad guys, and he's, he's he loves to eat, and it's a, a little cafe. It's good stuff. So I, I, that, that right there can make everything, make or break everything for me. If you can just slip in a couple of nice little scenes at a cafe in an ancient city, I, am, I will fall in love with the scene no matter what. A, a little cafe, some coffee, uh, biscuit, something like that, in an ancient city in Europe, and I am just, I am just head over heels. I just, it's, I love it. Me too, Frank. When I, I, I have to slip this in. When, when my wife and I went out there to live in our beginning of our third year of marriage, we were just basically kids, and I'm studying at the Greg and at the Angelicum. We had very little money, right? But we were both training for the Maratona di Roma until she got pregnant with our first kid. Uh, she had to drop out, but we would run at this park, uh, this circular park between two of the big seven basilicas of Rome, the two oldest ones. One was built by Constantine. It's San Giovanni. Uh, it's got the Scala uh, Sancte, you know, the stairs that Christ climbed to meet Pilate. It's got his blood on them. And then it's got just at the other end of the park, it's got the second oldest one built by Constantine's mother. Uh, called uh, Santa Croce in Jerusalem, and these are like, you know, a five-minute walk from our house, and it was an oval park, and you'd be running west 
toward the Tiber and you'd be facing San Giovanni right there and then you'd, you'd oval back and you'd be running east and you'd be facing the littler Basilica Santa Croce which had pieces of the true cross and two of the nails from his hand and it was amazing and we, we were just so impressed you could get a little cappuccino for just a euro at this place and once Steph had to drop out of the the marathon you know she'd just go there and it would be sundown and I'd be running just lap after lap training for the marathon there's some Muslims doing their sundown prayer which was always some weird tension they'd kind of be staring me down but it was just cool we'd be sipping cappuccino in this ancient city Porta Maggiore right here Santa Maria Maggiore you know not a mile north and we're just we're, we're in the thick of it in this city Rome people have to understand is tiny big town it's like going to see all of the it's like the strip on Las Vegas. It's everything's huge scale, but everything's close together. You can walk anywhere. Hmm. That, it's like that, Disneyland. Well, th- thank you for that. That that's really uh I love those types of descriptions and, and especially the per- personal anecdotes. It really makes this come to life. Um yeah. Here's a little bit more. Kenzel. Kenzel says the prologue could stand alone as its own short story and should be paid attention to closely. That's why I wanted to do a little bit more on that tonight, because it's it's clear to me that we are just going to see this tension building of this um, these dueling factions of people, much like we're seeing play out all over the place around the world right now, dueling factions of people trying to keep their poker faces on. But as time goes on, when you realize that you're not going to you're not going to convince anybody to, to do everything you want. There's got to be some kind of a kinetic exchange. You know, there's got to be something there. Um, the ritual section of the prologue was vivid and chilling and really sets the dynamic of our two sets of players we'll encounter in the book, so to speak. Good versus evil, if you will. It really reminded me of the first time reading Bill Cooper's Behold a Pale Horse and how he explained just what the Jesuits and the Masons had planned and executed in the Vatican so long ago So how uh, and how so many were fooled or had no idea. And finally, what really stood out to me was how I found myself basically reading it as if I were listening to Malachi Martin himself, hearkening back to those old Art Bell shows. The way it's written flows so well, and trying to decipher fiction from historical truth is part of the nuance that makes this book fascinating and apropos for the times that we're currently living in. Um, yes. A little bit more from Summer 711 who responded to that said creepy and illuminating really interesting to learn how much of this is based on nonfiction I enjoyed going to Catholic school but distanced myself from the church as an adult it didn't seem relevant anymore and got weird I'm now reassessing everything through a different lens intrigued at the possibility that there remains a good true faction of Catholicism Catholics who are fighting the globalist element uh, and disappointed mama re- replied to that and said, I'm now reassessing everything through a different lens, intrigued at the possibility of uh, that the remain. Oh, oh, it's, oh, responding to that, she said, I know what you mean. I haven't been to church since my girls finished school, but I wonder if the folks who have gone back to the Latin mass I grew up with are the ones on the better path. Um, so th- that's another thing here, uh, Tim. Th- there are a lot of people out there I don't like infighting, especially uh, among uh, among Christians, because if, uh, if if the basis of everything is that salvation for the soul comes through Christ and Jesus Christ alone, then you, you, in times like this, you don't want anybody infighting. 
But when I look at this, and we know that there's there's just so much history now of the decline, the steady decline, and then a ramped up decline now where it's almost like the wrap-up party. Where we're watching them wrap up something because everything's moving so quickly. Davos, um, the World Economic Forum, the UN, everything is moving so quickly. And of course, the Vatican needs to keep up because they are a intricate part of what has been launched, launched so far ago. But as you said before, everything needs an inverse. And if there wasn't a good universal truth and a, uh, a, a, a good holy origin here, then there would be nothing to pervert. There would be nothing to target. There would be no reason to focus everything in on destroying this particular uh, this particular uh, church uh, in order to to heighten your probability of success for taking over the planet. So th- there's a lot here, and I understand that people are just going to um, they're going to they're they're just going to gravitate toward what they know and and their and their faith is uh, it, it comes in different variations, different flavors. But um, I, can, I can see this once again. If it was bad from the beginning, why did it need to be targeted for destruction? Just allow it to continue. Right, right. Yeah, it's evidentiary. That's, that's what I tell people. It's what I've been saying for three or four years. It's evidentiary, that, that, that highly evidentiary, that the targeting is... I mean, you're over the target when you're getting this kind of... From World Economic Forum-type players... You're getting this degree of focus on infiltrating, you know, the church. I just, yeah, we're, we're, we're reading the book for what it is, but this is how Malachi Martin meant it. And this is what, it's the dark forces, the repugnant dark forces that turned him just from some modernist 60s Jesuit into a, a Catholic. So people are, people are responding that. It, we, we're not doing this from necessarily a religious point of view, but... To understand it the way Martin wrote the book, this is what converted him. And a lot of people are finding that the the conversionary forces of the dark powers in the world today are quite compelling. And and it it worked that way for the author, and it probably works that way for a lot of his readers. I would say this, from a narrative point of view, to get back to something a little more lighthearted that's also dark, what I always loved about Lord of the Rings, the books, is that beginning, the opening scenes of, I guess the secondary scenes to, to um, you know, when, when Bilbo leaves, but the real action picks it up when Frodo receives a letter that's like, hey, look, the Ringwraiths are coming for you. You were supposed to have gotten this letter six months ago. They're coming for you now. You need to get out of the Shire. And then he gets the letter six months later. <laughs> that's, that's very creepy, right? There's something incredibly spooky about that. You need to beat it. You need to literally pack your bindle and set out for Rivendell. Um, I always thought that was so fun. And then he's camping out, getting out of the relatively safe Shire that's been dampened and darkened by the fact that the, the Ringwraiths are after him, right? But mm. you got a letter, a letter of caution six months late. I feel like when I look at this windswept house character key that Klaus Schwab was a character on this character key made 25 years ago. I feel like, oh, now now we all know who he is because guys like you and me, we've been sounding the alarm, Patrick Coff and all of the, the good guys, greatest reset types. Um, we're like, oh, Klaus Schwab, now he's on our radar. He was on 
Martin's radar 25 years ago. I feel like Frodo, I just got the letter, you know? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I don't know where, I, I don't think, I don't know if the, the concept of the Antichrist pops up anywhere in the next 500 pages, but... um but that's one of the things that Martin was talking about with with our belly. He said that the Antichrist is alive, and uh, and he went through I forget what the hell what he was talking about what what he led on about it. He seemed to think he knew who it was, and that's the other thing. You know, I I see a lot of people who say in in the comment sections of these videos of his interviews, boy, he was wrong about a lot. I said no, nah, he was just he 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 was he was late. I mean, I mean, his predictions just just came late. It's just, uh, yeah. oh, he called them too early back in the in the '90s, late '90s, when he was doing these interviews and talking a lot about the world being carved up and and in the way that it's it's being manipulated right now. He was talking within a time frame of five to ten years. It's just, I mean, what is what is he? But omnipotent, five yeah. to ten. You have to. That's why it's it's hard to to give anybody time spans and rapture dates but that's the overall mood here i'm looking through all the rest of the comments and a resound a resounding theme from people is they love the cat and mouse game the dynamic between mastroianni and his cohorts feeling superior this is from appropriate ma uh, appropriate mess 1911 says feeling uh superior in their efforts to undermine the papacy and the opposite that the current pope knowing exactly what what's going on and just playing chess constantly the other thing here too is we're getting from people is the overall mood all the vatican marxists betraying their faith are acting the same way that we see today's new world order democrat types acting arrogantly pushing leftist politics uh, policies that hurt constituents and our constitutional rights and then um and then here we have uh let's see here this is from page 36 mike rogan 68 this is from page 36 at the top this Rome was anti-papal. Indeed, this Rome was not merely anti-papal, but dedicated to developing an anti-papal church. Well, it may have just come a little later than Father Martin expected, but I believe we have an actual anti-pope now. And and there you go. There's there's another one again. Uh, was he wrong, or was he just? Uh, did he just think that things were moving along a little bit quicker than possible? Because here you go. As I said in the beginning. This is published in 96. The Slavic Pope would be dead in nine years. And what they couldn't do to him, what they're obviously trying to push him into certain corners and create disunity and discord among he and, and the, uh, the, the, the cardinals and archbishops and, and just the overall uh, greater mechanism of, of the church, what they couldn't do to him since 1978, including an assassination attempt, what they couldn't do to him, they were able to do to his successor in short order too you know if if they were able to get to him in what how how long would that 2013 what was that seven years of yeah, like uh eight, eight year pontificate yeah hell i mean he they they would have had him out in the mid 80s have i ever sh have you ever seen or have i ever sent you frank um really creepy video of benedict the successor of jp2 who these many of these guys i guess it's five plus of the bad guy characters in this the Sancta Mafia, wanted so desperately to avoid a pontificate of him because he would carry forward the papal Rome. There's a video of um, Benedict landing in Germany where most of the bishops and the prelates are extremely hostile to him. It's, it's these guys, uh, the bad guys. And it's a receiving line. 
and I'll, I'll send it to you after this. He he's supposed to be shaking all of their hands, and they all pull their hands away one by one. And uh, there are a number of Sankt Gallen Mafia members in that group. It's it's uh, th- as much cat and mouse passive aggression insinuations went between Maestroani and and JP two. They were more out and out hostile to uh, Ratzinger, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and and you can see it there on the camera. It's it's really an incredible thing. Wow, that's okay. Yeah. So you know. Hmm. Okay, so here's the here's the real question because we really got to the the crux of what we got here. Now on page 100, that is the beginning of chapter 10. Now if I go to page 182, that is the end of chapter 19 and leaves us off at the beginning of chapter 20. Should we just do the the, the next 83 pages instead of uh you know, just go maybe 10 chapters at a time for this? Yeah, let's do that. Unless we're in a hurry to run, to, to no, finish, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in a hurry at all. But yeah. uh, you know, 650 page book, we can't do it for the next four months. So <laughs> it, at least, at least this that would be great. So the, let's let's call it chapter 10 to the end of chapter 19, so that we're looking at chapter 20 in the face on page 183. That'll be the next thing that we do for uh, for next week. But. Um, uh, any anything else, man? Let me get into the chat while you. Any, if you have any other thoughts or whatever, I'm going into the chat rooms to see what they're all saying. Yeah, yeah, you do that thing. I want to just point out a few quotes. I have, uh, passages I like. Some of them are just sort of passing things. I like on page 56 when Christian Gladstone is introduced. This section. Ooh. Reading Christian Gladstone himself didn't appear to be much. I think he's going to care. He turns out almost immediately to be a much more sophisticated character than uh, Mr. Ayani thought he would be. But but at first he doesn't appear to be much. Personally, he was probably heir to millions. As a priest, he seemed simple, pious to the point of being retrograde. Of course, I liked that. Mm-hmm. In all likelihood, uh, still said the old Roman Mass, which was a much less known quantity in the 80s and 90s growing up i didn't really even know that you could still go to one but he still said the old old roman mass but made no big splash about it so he's not sspx he's not um uh, flexing the way the only people who went to the the latin mass in the 80s and 90s did you know this little little breakaway group sspx perhaps he could turn out to be an interesting type after all for cardinal maestro any Interesting was a synonym for useful, which which points out very early on as a character what a uh, what a user Maestroani is, and that's just what these what these uh, what these bad cardinals are. They're just users. Such pious but powerfully connected drones as this, raw and malleable and innocent as they are, as they thought all trads were, had more than once turned out to be good stuff from which to strengthen the bridges from the old effete order of things to the progressive new. I like how the storytelling proceeds from the perspective of whatever character is being discussed. It's it's one of the great strengths of third-person uh, uh, perspective storytelling rather than first-person perspective storytelling is you kind of change around uh, depending on which character is being described. So now, according to Maestro Ani, hey, the old order of the church who asked someone like me you know, tradition, that's that's Forza Forza, that's your strength. But we're talking about Maestro Ani. The old order is old and a feat, 
and the progressive new order is is the strength. So I I, I like that. Uh, I think introductory rapport between Gladstone and Maestroani is I think going to be a big thing throughout oh, the book. And I and I also do like that introductory rapport between those two. How when when uh, um, Christian Gladstone is then out uh, at the cafe with with what what was the other Carnesecca yeah yeah. when he's out there who I I I take him as a a good guy too am I wrong in in thinking that I think he is or is he a mole I I don't know anywho um, when he's out there he's talking uh, about you realize how based Christian really is I mean, yeah. obviously, he, he that passage about you know what's going on with the Slavic Pope. Why is he for all these things? Meanwhile, there is a good redeeming quality about him, and he is under fire, and he's largely disliked. But at the same time, if you're not going to win favor with these New World Order puppets around you, then why aren't you going for the jugular? In many ways, like many of us were like... Uh, Hey, uh, it, w- what's going on? Why is why is Trump still making appointments with people like Bill Barr? And it, it and that sowed a lot of discord and people saying, well, the you know, if you're going to go Occam's razor on this, maybe Trump is part of the problem. But maybe there's also something uh, vastly more complex uh, situation here. A uh, an environment with all types of predators around you and people that are coming from different levels and, and, and all that stuff. And I loved how you saw how based Christian was in understanding that, yeah, Mastro Riani probably believes he's earned himself uh, that, that position to be such a um, uh, influential puppet master as the, uh, the, the secretary of state over there. But Christian knew exactly that he was being, he was being examined like a bug Right. At, at the those meetings, he knew he knew that he was being looked at with disdain and and all that stuff. And he just, as he said, he was not very good at being Roman. He just had too much American brashness about him. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that the way that he, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, that he was given trained in the uh, in the old ways of doing the mass was because that was a demand of his mother. Who yeah. was making all of those those big, you know, pretty much holding the money sack over the Vatican's head? Hey, if you want our donations, then I want my son to be able to know how to do the old rite, to, to take place, to take part in the old rite. I thought that was amazing, and it, it once again it gives you just that character background to to um, differentiate him from who you know is probably going to be a vastly different character in his brother Paul, who is working. For the Klaus Schwab types that I'm, I'm sure we're going to learn a little bit about in the next ten chapters. So that's all I have on my end. Do you have anything else that you want to uh, you want to uh, tidy up with? Because I think for the rest of the weekend, I'll be reading the thread that keeps building, responding to people there, and and keeping these um, keeping these uh, these sessions around an hour. Yeah, cool. Uh, I just wanted to point out on page seventy. Mm. I did love that part, by the way, when he when you find out how he literally parrots almost in the exact language going through Maestro Annie's head, like, oh, this Anglo Sassone, which is really what they call us, and they they you know the Anglo Sassones they mean Americans. They look you right in the eye. They're straight shooting cowboys, but they don't know what's going on. They don't understand this thing that all the Romans talk about. They really do. It's called Romanida. It means, you know, you be friendly to someone's face and you, you stab them in the back. That's that's basically all it means. It's slightly more complex than that. But 
he says it. He's like, oh, Maestro Ioni probably thinks I have no Romanita. In a way, he's right, but I know exactly what's going on. I'm, I, I really like that part. That was one of my favorite scenes. Also. Oh, and, and there you go. Just there on, on page 70, he said, he said this. He said, I felt like a specimen under a microscope. His eminence <laughs> seemed so interested in the cut of my cassock. I almost gave him the name of my tailor, or maybe I should have asked for the name of the, the cardinal's tailor. Yeah, that's why I was like, okay, this this guy, I like this guy. He he can't be bought, no doubt about it. No, yeah, Father Aldo too was interested to learn that Christian's brother worked with Cyrus Benthoke. Anyone closely connected with the Holy See was bound to know Benthoke at least by reputation. This is not. I said it earlier is wrong. I checked my key. He's not the Klaus Schwab guy, but he's definitely a Klaus Schwab type. Klaus Schwab is specifically characterized as someone we haven't met yet. Um, but. Uh, I like this where they describe him. I mean, this isn't Soros because he's not American-born, but American by birth, a paragraph down. Benthok had become a transnational man. Think think of uh, Soros. His strong connections among the highest reaches of international masonry was were not surprising, nor was his deep personal involvement in the workings of the European community, EU, <laughs> thinly pretty, veiled. Pretty much. As, as well as his lifelong dedication to its exclusively secularist brand of globalism. This is 1996-97. I, I mean, again, with the, the ring rates, they were dispatched six months ago, and we're, we're finding out 25 years later, Frank. It just it, This book is amazing for me because it, it connects so many dots. I like that book, Father Elijah, that was written the very next year in 97. Uh, it just connects so many personal dots for me, microscopic and macroscopic, the, the church at large, the world at large, COVID, globalism, all this stuff, it's Trump, it, all of these things just, just come out for me. Um, on, on page 72, I just have this note uh, at the top paragraph there, Gladstone nodded his understanding, but at the same time, he threw his hands up in a gesture of frustration. You make my point for me. Uh, and then that's when he goes into his 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 frustration with JP2, which again, that, that hits very, very close to the bone for me. Um, uh, Karnaseka, who I think you're, you're absolutely right, Frank, is definitely a good guy. Of course, it's true. He blanched it, Christian's challenge. And of course, I'm not surprised at your discomfort, but given the conditions, he, he's responding to the, the speech I uh, recited earlier. You yourself see in the church... We're here to serve. Discomfort is a small price. I like this also. I like that he's coming back at him. He's like, it's 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 hardly a martyrdom. It's a little discomfort. You described yourself a few minutes back as a foreigner in Rome's palace of chamberlains. I could co-sign that statement, Father Christian. So could Master General Damien Slattery. So we're getting a short list of the good guys. Yes. Once suspected, now confirmed. Slattery was part of the uh, the 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 moving along of that uh, that order for Sister Lucy to be allowed out to make an appearance at the, the Fatima event. Uh, yes. So I know he's, yeah. he's one of the, he's definitely one of those good, no-nonsense good guys. I love that. Um, I had I have one one comment that just came in right now before we, we wrap up. Quite Stevely just said on the foxhole, he said, Frank, maybe consider reading, ne- uh, maybe, maybe consider next reading to go to page 211. Instead of 182, this will end a major section. I mean, that's an tw- extra 20. I, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't have any problem. Um, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I'll put it up for you. What, what do you think? 
we'd have to we have to take Steve's word on it if it's a major section. But um, I don't know. I, I kind of something just tells me go, go go to ten chapters and just go to twenty, and we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, I'm fine with either. I'm I'm kind of a slow reader. I'm a fast writer, but I'm a slow reader. So okay. Yeah, I'm 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 fine with the the lesser. Um, it is a major section, kind of almost like the end of book one. But um, yeah, I'm not sure that's as important as yeah, the chapter divisions. All I'd right. rather read less. But if if you have strong inclinations to no, do uh, quite Steve Lee's way, then no, I I, I appreciate Steve's uh, Steve's input there. Obviously, he's been he's uh, he's gone ahead, and it's all right. Uh, if you are a voracious reader and you have a lot more time. Um, then go ahead and read, 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 and we we will eventually just get through this together, and it'll be wonderful. So, um, but with that, that is the end of session one. Tim, I'm I'm damn never. I always wanted to do something like this. I'm so happy we did it. This was very very fun. I'm looking forward to next time, and and uh, thanks for everything tonight, man. Me too. Yeah, this is really fun. I've always wanted to do something like this too. Yeah, good. I'm looking forward to getting into the second reading and discussion and all. Can I ask, Can we ask real fast? Yeah. Is anyone has anyone who's read ahead? Do they know whether the Luciferian consecration thing is in the the chapter? Is it? Is there any like? I mean, we don't have to wait around for minutes, but I I just thought I was expecting it this whole time. Were you, Frank? I I didn't know where it was going to come in, and after I saw it in the beginning, I just kind of said, "All right, well, that makes sense. Uh, it, yeah. it happened in the past, and it was it definitely didn't pull any punches." Uh, I, because I remember reading, I remember remember being told about that passage, and I went and I found it on the internet, and I remember it concluding with after everything being done in Rome, uh, the sun rising and the sunlight, you know, bathing itself on all of those old statues of saints and apostles and and all that stuff, and how everything had gone back to normal, even though something so perverse and evil had just taken place, as if nothing had happened. Um, the, that 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 turning of the page of a new day with what happened the, the night before. I remember reading that exactly. So I don't see why that would be duplicated again inside yeah. the book. I think that where we got it is what we're going to get. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, brother. Okay, cool. Well, 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 good stuff. I'm really excited about this next section. I think the character Ariatini, who is Silvestrini, barely cloaked. I think he's a major player. He he becomes the second leader in real life of the Sunk Golan Mafia. I'm looking forward to seeing what his role in the the ill ill events are. So I'm, I'm really excited. Thanks, I'm, thanks I'm, again. For I'm excited, man. I and and really send my best along to the family. And I will talk to you over the weekend. You too, brother. Later. There you go. Session one. Session one, man, I feel great. We got a book club, man. All right. So for those of you who are with me and those of you listening after the fact, on the po- I'll put this up on podcast, but nowhere else. If you're going to want to watch uh, the video, it's going to be on DLive and on, quite frankly, TV, powered by Foxhole. I love it. Exclusive. Thank you guys so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. I think that the guys at the network end are still going to put some stuff live on the late night right now. So if you're on QuiteFrankly.tv, stick around for a couple minutes, do some refreshing, and maybe there's more for you to enjoy. I will see you in a bit. Have a wonderful evening.